Hey there, Dialoggers. I'm your host, Taylor, and I'm overjoyed that you came back. And if this is your first time listening, then welcome to the newest episode of Danae's Dialogue. We're using the elements of God, history, and the news. I hope to rile you up so much that you're literally having a dialogue with your phone or whatever device you happen to be listening to me on right now. No, 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 not to make you look crazy. The dialogue that you'll have with the air will prayerfully lead you into actions that produce change. On a serious note, though, I created this space to be a place where people can come to gain knowledge through the power of dialogue. A way to provide the perspective of a nerdy, black, Christian millennial to some of the most important conversations that's being had. So let's get into this episode. You ready? Let go. And strike 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 until you have victory for every enemy that is aligned against you. Let there be that we would strike the ground for you will give us victory, God. I hear a sound of abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. I hear a sound of shouting and singing. I hear a sound of victory. I hear a sound of an abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. I hear a sound of an abundance of rain. I hear a sound. Sound of victory. The Lord says it is done. Yes, Paula. It is done. The 46th president and the 49th vice president of the United States have been sworn in and completed their first 100 days in office. As wonderful and much needed as that inauguration was, that historic day has come and gone. And although I may be suffering from PTTD, that's post-traumatic Trump disorder, um, I forced myself to stop a few times to uh, smell the proverbial roses, if you will. Like, have you really sat in the fact that in the words of Uncle John P. Key, we made it and we made it out all right. Like, we made it through the four years, the 48 months, the 1,461 days, the 35,064 hours, the 2,103,840 minutes, the... 126,230,400 seconds of the Donald J. Trump presidency. Savior! Mardi Gras! The Lord is kind. But enough about the orange wonder. Since the previous four years were the equivalent of us babysitting the biggest man-baby known to mankind, the Biden-Harris administration is inheriting a flaming hot mess masquerading as a country. And because of that, they've had to hit the ground running. And boy, have they ever. So much has already taken place, yet so much more still needs to be done. And thanks to the relative amount of sanity that has returned, and now that the ceremonial first 100 days have passed, I've had time to think, reflect, 
and watch the actions that have taken place so far. So, I thought that this would be the best time for us to sit down and think some things through the Denae's dialogue way, through conversation. Now, I want to unpack and talk through my thoughts on what we've witnessed so far, while also discussing what I think we as citizens should be doing and thinking during the remaining of the Biden administration and just within the next four years in general. So we have a lot to talk about in a little bit of time. So I present to you the special crossover Denise Dialogue Civics Unlocked episode entitled On Biden. You ready? Let go. Looking at the current state of America, we know that the president has his work cut out for him. Whew. Much like President Obama, he's inherited a country in chaos. And now we're basically just all standing outside the window, looking in, waiting and watching as he attempts to clean up the mess. And it, it's why I chose that image for this episode's cover. Now, depending on what platform you're using, you may or may not see it. So you can go to the Denae's Dialogue Instagram or Facebook page or the website and you can see what I'm talking about. Anyway, the photo, uh, which is known as a political cartoon, is from an artist named Morton Moreland from the UK newspaper, The Times. And I thought it perfectly captured the responsibility that Joe Biden now has. I'm also grateful uh, that the cartoonist didn't include Madam VP because having a black woman with a mop in her hand would have been all kinds of problematic for me. Just saying. Anyway, uh, what I'm trying to say is that Uncle Joe's got some work to do. Now, thankfully, we have elected, yes, the oldest, but the most qualified person ever to hold the office of the presidency. Now, regardless of what you feel about him personally, or if you agree with him politically, Joe Biden has the qualifications for this job. Again, regardless of what your politics are, regardless of what you feel about them, regardless of what is happening right now, can we just take a moment to celebrate the fact that a woman, a black woman, a HBCU grad that's historically black colleges and universities for those of you who don't know. A black woman who wraps her hair at night. You know, that kind of black woman. I don't care what y'all say, she's black. Okay, can we just celebrate that right now? Kamala Devi Harris is the vice president of the United States of America. I mean, stop hating and clap. Now, it almost pained me to congratulate them on their win when I really thought about just how much they have on their plate. It's almost like not fair, but that's where Biden's experience will come in. So first, let's start here. At the base level, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are just decent people, and that alone is an improvement. The fact that they are decent cannot be said about the Mar-a-Lago Mussolini. It just can't. It can't. I can't. 
It's why during the campaign, I literally got sick to my stomach when I would hear this asinine statement of, It's basically a choose between the lesser two evils. It, it was said in 2016, it was picked back up in 2020, and I kid you not, every time I would hear or read this statement, I would, I loathe that statement. Why? Because it shouldn't be a choice. It's not a choice. Like, the lesser of two evils doesn't exist when the other choice is literally the devil. It's not a choice when the other person is literally evil all-encompassing. But I'll play along. If that's the mindset we want to have, okay, allow me to propose a question to you. What the heck is wrong with the less evil? Why would going with the option that is less bad, if you will, be a bad choice? Or a choice you wouldn't want to make. Hmm? Hmm? You see how stupid that sounds? Sorry. I'm I'm back. I'm sorry. But seriously. What we're getting in Joe Biden and Kamala Harris isn't just a slightly better option than Donald T. Rump. It's the administration deserving of the American people. In a Biden-Harris administration, we get actual adults that are serious about leading the country into a better state. So I guess that's my first point. Decency matters, and we cannot take that for granted anymore. As I've said many times, and I will keep saying it throughout this episode, you don't have to like either of them to say or to notice that they're just overall decent, smart, classy people. Don't believe me? Fine. Take the words of President Obama. In the recount of why he chose Biden as his VP, he said this in his memoirs. Quote, what mattered most, though, was what my gut told me, that he was decent, honest, and loyal. I believed that he cared about ordinary people and that when things got tough, I could trust him. I wouldn't be disappointed. End quote. Decent, honest, and loyal. Literally the antithesis to what we've witnessed the last four years. Before even getting into office, Biden and Harris both displayed just how decent they really are by leading the nation in its first memorial to honor the lives of the now 500 plus thousand Americans who have succumbed to the COVID-19 pandemic. Short and sweet and to the point, they allowed the nation to exhale and take a moment to process the grief we've experienced. And it took very little effort for them to put together a beautiful event to say to the families who have lost loved ones, we see you. See, it's the little things. The last year has been traumatic on many levels, and we couldn't even begin to heal the wounds because we had to keep dealing with the never-ending trauma that doubled as the president. So I don't think it is an accident that God in his infinite wisdom gave us a president, a leader who is well acquainted with grief, if you will, to lead us into this next portion of the nation's history. Joseph Robert Biden Jr., don't you dare laugh. 
is one who has been tattooed with that unwanted yet inescapable mark of one who knows what grief looks and sounds like. And it is he that leads us into this next phase. It's not just that he knows it. It's that he has triumphed in spite of it. To quote President Obama again, he said, Family has sustained Joe, but so too had a buoyancy of character. Tragedy and setbacks may have scarred him, I would learn, but they hadn't made him bitter or cynical. End quote. See, it, it's that man that now holds the reins of this government. And just in case he slips, they'll be picked up by a black woman who pledged AKA and graduated from the HBCU who wrapped her hair at night. Yes, I am going to keep repeating that because the fact that grease and flat irons have returned to the White House should never be overlooked nor understated. Yes! What I'm getting at is this. Right? We can disagree with them. We will disagree with them. There hasn't been an administration that has had 100% agreement with the American people. Not even George Washington, contrary to popular opinion. But I don't want us to lose the historic nature and the weight of this moment because we're tripping over each other to prove who's the wokest. Breathe. Even the woke need a nap every now and then. But all jokes aside, though, just because we have returned competency and adulthood back to the White House, it doesn't mean that we get to take the next four years off. Which leads me to my next point. We have to remain engaged, educated, and determined. Y'all, I am not being hyperbolic when I say it is critical to the sustainability of so-called democracy and the nation for us to be engaged citizens. We cannot let up even a little bit. The campaign promises of each and every elected politician in Washington right now must be made into legislation. Accountability and productivity is the name of the game. One of the ways we do this is by using the temperament of the nation as it greatly impacts the progression of legislation and policies. The past four years have shown us this. The outcry in response to the Muslim ban, DACA, and other harmful policies from the Trump administration, all of that put pressure on Congress to act and to remedy the problem. But one thing that we must also do is realize the power of inside conversations. Look, I don't know about y'all, but in my house, there were family or inside conversations, and then there were outside conversations. Family conversations were just that, for the family. They were meant to be for the inner circle. That's where the strategizing and the planning happened. Then, when we held outside conversations, so to speak, we presented a united front in which we not only looked like but we actually knew what we were doing. And though it pains me to say this, the Republic... Sorry, I'm trying to get it out. Hold on. Though... The... All right, I can do this. The Republicans are great at doing this. There, okay, I got it out. 
Just look at what's happening within the party right now. They're united and they're crazy. Look, Evil Squidward just announced that the entire Republican Senate will oppose Democratic legislation. And he was able to do this because of the inside conversations that they've been having. But more on that later. My point is, if we openly oppose everything Biden does, that sends the message that policies should flow in the opposite direction. Put it like this. Linda Sarsour, one of the leaders of the Women's March and co-founder of Until Freedom, said it best. Politicians are not our friends. So we put our best opponent in the White House. And it's up to us to hold this administration accountable to the promises they made in the campaign. Look, yeah, Joe Biden is not my friend. He's my president. Trump was not my friend. He was my oppressor. Obama wasn't even my friend. He was my president. And where we agreed, we agreed. But when he did something that I disagreed with, it was my duty to make sure that I told my representatives that their vote should reflect what's best for the many. The same should be true with the Biden administration. In order to gain the most from this time in office, in order to make sure that the most good is done for the most amount of people, we have to hold this administration and all of our elected officials accountable to their promises. And we do this by being educated, staying on top of legislation and what it actually says, not what the media tells you it says. You know, like listening to Civics Unlocked. It's a great way to do this. Yes, that was a shameless plug. No, I do not care. Then we have to remain engaged. Voting in every election, calling and writing our representatives, urging them to vote in the best way possible. And through all of that, it is imperative that we remain determined. It's heavy. I know. Voter suppression, lies, revisionist history, it's a lot. But like the ancestors who came before us were able to push past all the injustices of slavery and the black codes and Jim Crow, we already know that we're built to sustain this. We can do this. Now, while I'm on this subject of remaining vigilant and educated, let me be more specific. And point my words in the direction I want them to go in. We have to watch the Republicans. And I'm not saying this to be on a Democratic train or because I love Democrats or anything like that. I'm saying this because right now the Republican Party is acting in a way that is antithetical to what's best for all of America. Look, I would be willing to put actual money on the fact that there was probably another steakhouse meeting on January 20th, like there was January 20th, 2009. Y'all know that that meeting where the Republican leaders held on the night of Obama's inauguration, in which they vowed to not only make Obama a one-term president, but they vowed not to work with him and the Democratic Party on anything that they did. And boy... (laughs) 
whew, they kept their promise on that second part. The first part, they failed miserably. But that second part, mm, if you don't think that Addison, a.k.a. evil Senator Squidward, is plotting every diabolical detailed step back to complete power and you just haven't been paying attention they always plotting case in point one of the reasons that we have handmaiden of trump aka amy coney barrett is because joe biden as the head of the senate judiciary committee in 1987 oversaw the dismissal of judge robert bork from becoming a supreme court justice Addison, Mitchell, McConnell stood on the Senate floor and vowed to remember what had taken place and that when he was in power, he would enact his revenge. Almost 40 years later, he kept his promise. So mark my words, although he's the minority leader in the Senate right now, He's still the top-ranking Republican, and other than his scary and downright childish ability to hold a grudge for an obscene amount of time, the other thing that you can say about him is that when he has a plan, he sticks to it. It's part of being a squid. (laughs) That is funny. (laughs) It's not... (laughs) It's not just the federal Republicans that we need to worry about. It's also the ones in the state and local governments. Republicans gained on their majority that they hold within state legislatures in the 2020 November election, which means that once again, they have control over drawing district lines and election processes. And with the data that's coming out from the 2020 census, we we already know that they'll be gaining House seats as well, crouching on the small majority that Democrats hold in the House right now. So what these jokers do will affect us for at least a decade. At least. Not to mention most district courts are now being held by Trump appointees because McConnell got to fulfill his lifelong goal of packing the courts with conservative judges from the federal level with the Supreme Court all the way down. Again, y'all, please don't fall for the okie doke. Just because some of them ruled in favor of upholding the results of the election, that doesn't mean that they're going to continue that unbiased way of ruling. That goes for the legislators, too. We're seeing that now. Look, remember all those praises being sung for... Brad Raffensperger and Gabriel Starling in Georgia? Yeah, all that stopped once we realized that they may not have been on the Trump train for the election, but they are VIP members of the White Supremacy Express. Now, according to the Brennan Center, as of March 24th, 2021, legislatures have introduced 361 bills with restrictive provisions and 47 states that are specifically designed to prohibit and prevent black and minority voters from exercising their constitutional right to vote. Oh wow. Florida and Texas have already signed theirs into law. 
joining Georgia and the Jim Crow throwback. So yeah, there's that. History has shown us time and time again that whenever there is black progression and achievement, a white lash follows. So the answer to record-breaking minority turnout to the polls is being answered with the white lash of all these bills. When I say Trump train, I want you to say choo-choo. In the words of Mark Twain, history may not repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. That's the problem. My last point, and probably my most important point, is that we have to be patient. Well, how many Caucasian seconds must pass before it's time for me to speak the truth? I know, I know. I, I can hear Dr. King's words from the letter from the Birmingham jail about waiting and what it means for the African-American especially, but what I'm referring to isn't a placating talking point. It's advice from the heart encased in wisdom and strategy. We have to realize that presidents inherit whatever is left over to them from the previous administration is what they have to deal with during their tenure. The staggering levels of incompetency mixed with ignorance and apathy of the Trump administration has left Biden with a flaming hot mess. So, Thinking about this logically, we have to prepare ourselves for the fact that the next four years are largely going to be spent not just cleaning up the mess, but just trying to figure out how much of a mess there actually is. Already, Biden's cabinet and newly appointed officials have said that they haven't been able to work on anything because they're trying to unravel the chaos. President Biden has to deal with the COVID pandemic, racial injustice, financial anxieties, and Republicans and white supremacies. And yes, I know that's redundant. Just go with it. When you look at all the things that must be dealt with, I kind of feel bad for him. I mean, the man is 78 years old. He should be in Florida somewhere yelling at those darn kids on his lawn. But instead, he has to deal with the crap left over from his predecessor. So the the way I want us to approach this is again, and I know I've been quoting President Obama throughout this whole thing. I'm reading the book, okay? It's 701 pages. I'm I'm getting through it. So yeah, that that that's what I'm focused on the most here. Bear with me. Anyway, in the memoirs, when he he was thinking about his presidency, uh, President Obama wrote, "Quote: It was as if nobody had been listening to the campaign promises I made, or as if they assumed that I hadn't actually meant what I had said." The response to my speech gave me an early preview of what could become a running criticism during my first two years in office, that I was trying too much, that to aspire to anything more than a return to the pre-crisis status quo, to treat change as more than a slogan, was naive and irresponsible at best, and at worst, a threat to America. End quote. Now, this quote got me thinking because I've observed the deluge of media pundits and civilians alike that have been eagerly giddy to harp on the progress or lack thereof of the current administration. And that's fine, right? That's what they do. I get it. However, I do find the double standard interesting. I mean... President Yosemite Sam was praised for reading the teleprompter without veering and ad libbing, but President Biden is criticized for not being able to correct decades of bureaucratic gridlock within 100 days. It's why I whole 
wholeheartedly feel that we need to give an extra measure of grace to this administration, just as I felt we should do so for the Obama administration in its first term. Now, I'm not saying that there should be no accountability. I'm suggesting that we should keep in mind that Biden is inheriting a hot mess and it's going to take time and effort to fix it. So we have to be patient, which is what I think President Obama was saying in that quote. He was showing us that it's possible to dream and demand big solutions to big problems while also working on the immediate problems that need to be fixed before causing even more damage. We have to look through the lenses of patience and grace when we're observing and critiquing Biden and Harris. And while I have your attention for the love of God and all things holy, let's learn to take the win, regardless of how small it is. Look, y'all, let's get real. We live in a nation where 40% of the people still think that slavery was beneficial to the African people. We're still trying to get people to see that black people are human. That's after 200 years of work. So when there's a win, small, minuscule, microscopic as it is, let's take it. And then move forward from there. That's not just on issues of race. That's on anything. Now, are there things that I worry about with this administration? Absolutely. I would be lying to you if I said I thought that Biden was the end to all of our problems, especially the racial justice issues. I mean, he's had, let's say, a problematic relationship with civil rights. But it puts me at ease to know that Biden and Harris have chosen to surround themselves with people like Cedric Richmond, who's in the top staff of the White House, people like Simone Sanders and Kareem Jean-Pierre, and Christine Clark, who's nominated to head the Civil Rights Division within the Justice Department. While I'm here, um, can y'all please call, email, tweet your senator, tell them it is imperative for them to confirm her nomination right now, like like right now just stop the podcast and do that and then come back and finish did you do it did you do it don't lie you thank you thank you um what i'm saying is there are others there too but all of them regardless of who they are all of them will be able to check president biden when he veers off course and i fully believe that they will not to mention the black woman vp who wraps her hair at night now the only thing besides covid that was able to get through the doors of the trump white house was step and fetch it so compare that to the real you know openly black shout out to cnn for that nonsense uh compared to those people that will be working with the Biden administration, it's a no-brainer for me. That's all I'm saying. Look, what's happened so far shouldn't be overlooked, though. Within the last 111 days of the administration, Biden has picked the most diverse cabinet ever, with 10 women, 4 Hispanic Americans, 6 black people, 
the first Native American person to hold a cabinet position. Speaking of the cabinet, had he not chosen Merrick Garland as attorney general, the Justice Department wouldn't have announced federal charges on all of the four executioners who lynched George Floyd. They wouldn't have announced investigations into the Minneapolis and Louisville Police Department. He's also signed 41 executive orders, 19 of which reversed the detriments of his predecessor. In total, he's reversed 62 of them thanks, including stopping the border wall construction and restricting access to the Keystone Pipeline. On day one, he rejoined the U.S. into the Paris Climate Agreement and the World Health Organization. He signed 11 bills into law, one of them being the American Rescue Plan, which political scientists have deemed the most influential bill of any president's first 100 days. And he's overseen the administration of 200 million vaccinations, exceeding his goal, hitting it 42 days ahead of schedule. And that's just to name a few things. So to me, it's not a bad start. And if we do our part, then it will only get better from here. Like I said, you don't have to personally like them or agree with them. You don't have to agree with their policies or anything of that nature. But I believe that this is the time where we'll finally be able to make real, lasting change. So, let's take this opportunity to make a better world. God bless President Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, and their entire team that works with them. Boy, they are going to need it. Dialoguers, you've been great. I hope you enjoyed the pod. And if you've made it to this point, it's a good indication that you did. And that makes me happy down in my soul. Now, please don't let the dialogue stop here. Please consider to like, share, and comment. All things Zene's Dialogue Podcast can be seen over at what I like to call the DD Hub. That's www.denaysdialogue.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, Ashe.